Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. I felt a little bit guilty at first when my wife said to me, well, you can't tell people that their stories are bad stories because, well, it's their story. I mean, they kind of, it's their story. How can you decide if it's good or bad? That's kind of like super, super McJudgy. And I thought about it a little bit, and then I realized, no, there's there's actually a way to quantify stories that are bad stories, and that's what I want to talk about in this episode of Leading Leaders. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and surely, surely you've been the victim of a bad story. Maybe it's a story that someone told about you. <clears throat> and that's what makes it bad because their opinion of you is not a good opinion. Or maybe it's a story that really harbors some really ill feelings. Maybe maybe it's a story whose entire intent, the story's intent, not this, well, no, it'd be the speaker's intent using the story to malign someone else. Maybe it's a story that has the intention of just hurting people. Or maybe it's a story that the speaker or the author perhaps doesn't even realize is a story which triggers other people. Now, if you've been around anyone who perhaps is a combat veteran or has been a victim of trauma at some point in their life, they used to call it PTSD. Now they just call it PTS. Um, they don't want to call it a disorder because you know that changes the status of us in the, in the mental health category. But post-traumatic stress, whether you call it a disorder or not, is a reaction to an event which happened sometime in the past. Might have been last week, might have been when you were eight, might have been something that you were involved in last week. That, whether it's a car accident, we went and watched uh, Gran Turismo last night. Pretty cool little movie. But there's a scene where there's a car crash, and at the end of the crash, the driver says, mm -mm, no more, I'm done, I'm out, I quit, I'm not doing this. Why? Well, because it's triggering when you think about, I nearly died, and you don't want to get in this situation where you nearly died again. And so you, as any wise person would do, avoid the situation that caused you to nearly die. Well, there are a whole lot of situations that create that kind of traumatic stress. And those post-traumatic stress events, they live inside our souls, most of us, until we die. And whatever it was that prompted that moment, the emotions that came along with it, all of the thoughts and the memories, they all flood back as if the moment is happening again. Now, the trigger might be a sight, a sound, a string of words, a smell, a location, and because all of those triggers are possible reigniters of all the biochemistry in your brain that make you feel like that moment is happening again. A little neuropsychology, you've probably heard this if you've done any sales training or leadership training at all. There's a subconscious part of the brain called the reticular activating system. The reticular activating system is that part that allows you to remember things that you've once become aware of. And once there's a heightened awareness of it, you'll be more aware of that same incident, aroma, sound, relationship, voice tone, word pattern, 
again and again and again and again and again. Zig Ziglar always called it the Green Buick theory. Nobody has a green Buick until you buy a green Buick. And then it seems like everybody in the world has a green Buick. Your awareness is heightened. It's elevated to this one particular thing. Now, the bad part, if you will, about storytelling is you have no idea what anybody else's reticular activating system is doing. And when it merges together with the hippocampus and the hypothalamus, one remembers everything and the other one controls all those hormones and emotions that are flooded together in the body. And so you may say something or do something or gesture in a particular way. And that's all it takes for someone in the moment to go right back to that traumatic event, whether it was last week, last decade, or in their childhood. So a bad story might be a story that, well, it makes you feel a little cathartic. It's a little healing. It, it feels good for you to get it off your chest. <clears throat> but it's bad because it triggers other people back into a moment they don't want to relive. They don't want to feel the fear. So it's another challenge with the reticular activating system. It has this heightened sense of awareness where the chemicals in the body allow you to feel just like it's happening now but it doesn't know the past from the present from the future and it doesn't know the real from the imagined now you can conjure for a moment your own thoughts about what would happen if you could future cast by telling a story of something awesome and wonderful that is yet to come and allow that moment to flood someone with the emotions of how wonderful it would be when that moment does come. Uh, that's what we call inspiration. When you build a story, when you craft a story with enough intentionality to future cast, you allow someone to imagine what it will feel like when they have that new home, that new car, that new relationship, that new career, that diploma. So even though their life right now may be a disaster, they're living in a mess, they begin to feel as if there's hope for the future. Well, that's a good story. But a story that allows them or causes them or invokes in them the emotions of the past, that may not be a good thing. Now, there are some balances to that. There are some places where a good psychologist or a coach or a neuroscientist might say, let's talk about some of those things from the past so we can go back to them and peel the layers of the onion off until we get to the core of what really was the problem and find your level of responsibility in it and undo what was done to the best of our ability. Now, you may not be able to fix everything that was there, but by assigning responsibilities and taking care of the ones that, well, you're responsible for, you can really change the game of emotion. It's a really big deal to be the kind of person that tells the kind of stories that encourages, that builds hope. Now that doesn't mean that your story about your life is not relevant. What it does mean though is sometimes you've gotta be willing to tell stories that don't make you the hero. Another bad thing about a story is a story that's perhaps alarming, or maybe a story that's divisive. A story that it's genuine, it's true, it's real. It's about a moment in time that you lived through. All those things are good. Well, all those things are necessary to tell a good, authentic story. But it doesn't mean that the outcome of the story is always going to be positive. Sometimes the purpose of a story is to draw attention 
to an awareness that people have intentionally made a blind spot. Let that one settle in for a moment. See, as leaders, part of the process of telling better stories better is intentionally selecting your stories. I still encourage you, according to the Dale Carnegie methodology of the magic formula, telling stories that you've earned the right to tell, that you're eager to tell, that you can tell with enthusiasm. Well, how do you earn the right? Well, you got to live through it, you got to research it, or you got to be a first-hand observer. If you've earned the right to tell the story from that capacity and you're eager to tell it and you can tell it with enthusiasm, you have a powerful story in the making. Now the question is, just because it's a powerful story, is it the right one at the right time for the audience in front of you? It is possible for a good leader to tell a bad story because they've chosen a story that while it's very impactful to them, it's boring as all get out to the audience in front of them. It's alarming, perhaps. It sets off all the alarms and triggers and makes people wonder, what is wrong with you? Maybe it causes them to think of you in a different light. That's not a good story. That's a bad story. If that different light causes them to think less of you, to lose respect, to tarnish your reputation, well, that's not a good story. If you're telling a story that damages your credibility because what you're telling them, they didn't want to hear about you, didn't want to believe about you, and even after you tell them, they don't want to believe that it's true. See, that's, that's something you've got to work out in your storytelling, or you've got to be more selective in which story you tell to which audience. Now, it could be that your story is disturbing. Are you noticing a pattern here? You have boring, alarming, disturbing. It's an acrostic for bad. That's what makes a bad story. If it's boring, alarming, and disturbing, it's a bad story. It might have its place at exactly the right time in front of exactly the right audience, but it's more likely that just by changing a few words in the story that don't change the authenticity, they don't change the meaning of the story, they don't change the heart of the story or the lesson learned. What they change is some people's ability to comprehend, to understand, and to follow. You know as well as I do, you've been in moments where you can speak over the head of people in the room because they don't have the same level of education or insight. They don't know what you and maybe somebody over here knows. You've probably done it around your kids. Maybe if you have dogs like my dogs who know the word walk and they lose their minds when you say the word walk or you say the word leash, they go ballistic and that 60 pound Irish doodle of ours becomes a kangaroo on crack bouncing off the walls and jumping over every piece of furniture to try to get her leash on again in the car. You don't want to say the word walk or leash because you've just unleashed all kinds of chaos. You might could spell it, but now she's getting to the place where she can spell walk. So now we have to come up with code words to talk around her and her little intelligent self so that we don't reveal our plan until it's time to reveal the plan. There are things that you can do in storytelling that don't change the authenticity of the story. They don't change the power and the impact or the lessons learned, but they do allow you to speak around people who are not re yet ready to receive. They're not yet ready to dig into what does that really mean? Or maybe what you're doing is putting a delay, just a, just a little hint of, let's talk about that later. Uh, put them in a position where they have to ask you a question like, 
sometimes the story you tell is acrimonious. Well, you're probably going to have to take a minute to look up acrimonious. When you do, send me a message and go, wait a minute, are you saying my story is acrimonious? Well, it could be. It could be. But you wouldn't know if you haven't looked up the word. It could be that your story is pedantic. But you wouldn't know if you haven't looked up the word or you're not a linguist or somebody who focuses on words and communication. Take the time to look up acrimonious and pedantic right after the show. And ask yourself, do those words apply to my stories, the stories that I use? Now, again, a bad story may be boring and really, really long. And it may be something that is based on false beliefs. An event that happened to you that caused you to believe a certain thing about yourself or about a certain group of people, well, that could be very divisive. Maybe it's a story that generates in you a sense of racism or sexism or ageism or nationalism. And if those things become provocatively dangerous or damaging, yep, there's those D words again for the bad story, then you need to not include them from your story. You need to remove them or change them or change the sense of how they approach people. And those bad beliefs, those wrong beliefs, those beliefs which alarm or trigger others make for bad stories. Now, sometimes the power of the story is in the evolution of understanding. And when you tell a story, you say, well, this is what I lived through then, and, and this is how I believed then, and this is what I thought then, and this is the revelation that I've come to and how it's changed my life so dramatically. Well, that evolution of a story, that can be a very positive thing. Maybe it starts in a bad place, but it ends with encouragement. It ends with future casting. It ends with giving people an opportunity to see what you didn't see. That's how you turn a bad story to a good story. But there are good leaders who love people, who care about people, who only want the best for people. But the life they've lived through is challenging, trying. Nobody gets here without baggage. Nobody gets here without scars. The question is, are the ones that you're bringing forward in your stories, or like many people, the whole story, they want to tell everything that happened in their life as their story. It becomes a monologue. It becomes a memoir, not a memorable moment. Well, that's a challenge. But if you want to tell all the highs and all the lows and allow people to feel sorry for you and paint you as a victim, then I'm afraid that's a bad story, according to the research that I've done and the way that people react to stories like that. People do often find them boring. Even if they've lived through a similar experience, really what they want to know is, how did you get out? What was your solution? And will your solution work for me? Can I live through the same kind of bad stuff you lived through and come out on the better side because your story gives me some hope, teaches me something I didn't know before I walked in the room? Those are important questions. And while you've got to select the right stories to tell, you also have to be very diligent about how you craft those stories. You've got to put them together in a way that they're consistent from time to time you might change a word or two, but the story pretty much stays the same. Uh, this is a powerful understanding that was new to me only a few years ago. And that is, if I ever went to a, a Journey concert, 
There's a song by Journey that almost every karaoke uh, person sings, and, and it shows up at pretty much every wedding and every school event and every graduation. And every moment where music is played for a large crowd, the Journey song is Don't Stop Believing." But if I went to a Journey concert and they didn't sing Don't Stop Believing," I would feel ripped off. I would feel like I was taken advantage of. I actually did go to a live performance of a guy who has a very strong one-hit wonder. And we watched the entire performance. And at the end, that one-hit wonder, that, that world-famous song, dun, 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 never happened. We all looked at each other like, what did we miss? What's going on here? I, I just happened to be with a friend who was a personal friend, went to elementary school with this guy. And he walked up, he's like, What's the deal? He's like, I'm trying to reinvent myself. I don't want to be attached just to that song. Well, you realize like 90% of the people in this room came to hear you do that song. Well, if you've got stories from your life that people love to hear because they're impactful, maybe one word of that song isn't kid-friendly. Maybe that story needs an edited version. Maybe that story has elements in it which could inspire or trigger someone else. Maybe trigger them toward an addiction or trigger them toward PTS or trigger them toward a rage. And if you know that that's possible, when you look out into the audience and realize, oh, I see people who match the demographic that would be triggered in those ways. Let me skip that story or let me at least skip that one line in that story that might be provocative in that way. It's one thing to evoke emotions from someone. It's something else to invoke emotions. Dictionary time. You're going to have to look those up. What's the difference between invoking and evoking? A leader, a communicator, a public speaker, a teacher is responsible to know the difference and the outcome. Also responsible to know what happens if I invoke an emotion or evoke an emotion? Is one better than the other? Is one good and the other one bad? Is one positive and the other negative? I'm going to leave that on you because you might be telling bad stories if you don't know the difference. You might be acrimonious or pedantic and you don't even know it. Him's walking around a dead man and him don't even know it. Uh, screw face. Yeah from a movie way back when with Steven Seagal, back when he was a great actor and a great martial artist. <laughs> Figure that one out. Are you telling bad stories? Are you telling stories that really don't have the ability to impact people because you're really just telling a story that makes you feel good telling it or feel better for having told it? Are you telling stories that are boring or acrimonious or disturbing, alarming <clears throat> and divisive? If those adjectives can be laid in front of your story or behind it, you might be telling bad stories. Friends don't let friends tell bad stories. I want to teach you to tell better stories better. Love to help you with that. Go to storypowermasterclass.com and you'll figure out how to tell better stories better. That's what I want you to do. I want you to tell better stories better. You can change your life when the stories that you tell remind you of better days and point you toward a better future. You can change the lives of others when the stories you tell them remind them of better days and point them to a better future. And if you're a leader, 
you can change the direction of your team by telling better stories better. Get started today. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast or Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. that I was praying, God, you know, he just needs this thing broken in his life. He's become involved in that class. And there's real spiritual change and real physical change happening in this guy's life. Today on Transforming Grace TV. I succumb to addiction and I would succumb to pornography. And the residual effect of that in my life and my children and my household and my other relationships, mind-boggling. And yet I knew there was a call in my life. And I think that tension is what pulls men apart in the churches, and, and it pulls families apart. It, that, to me, is heartbreaking. My opinion, too, is that uh, the body of Christ has a tendency to crucify our wounded. Transforming Grace TV passionately reveals hope in broken relationships. Stay tuned. Experience God's transforming grace.